Hello and welcome to The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast. I'm your host, Adam. And I'm Eric. On today's show, we celebrate our 50th episode by interviewing the great Biff Yeager. Biff played Mr. Heyman in the classic season three episode, The Library. In addition to our interview with Biff, we'll also be discussing the episode, The Library, which is one of our favorite episodes in the entire series. Yeah, so in honor of our 50th episode, we thought we'd change things up a bit. So rather than doing a full interview, we thought it would be fun to discuss the episode, The Library, and then play clips from our interview with Biff throughout the episode. So sort of like a two-for-one deal. And we had a lot of fun chatting with Biff. He's a great guy, and it was so nice to meet him. He didn't remember too much from his time on Seinfeld, but the reason why he didn't remember is kind of amazing. He said he did a lot of drinking in those days, and so his memory is a little fuzzy. <laughs> and honestly. <laughs> If we didn't get anything else from our interview with Biff, the fact that I know that he might have been drunk playing Mr. Heyman, <laughs> I oh, yeah. I enjoy those scenes even more now. Such a great tidbit. It's also kismet that uh, the episode right before that is the dog with uh, Gavin Pallone, the drunk. You know, so <laughs> maybe uh, he was going on a bender. You know, he, they drink things, they bend things at the bar. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> But before we discuss the episode, we'll give you a little taste of our interview with Biff. So here's the first question we asked him. All right. So was there a particular moment uh, early on in your life when you realized that you wanted to become an actor? Oh, you're going to be sorry you asked that. (laughs) Never. (laughs) When I I was in kindergarten, I was playing an elephant with seven other kids. We were on stage and they all, none of them wanted to say their lines. They all froze up. And I stood up and said everybody's lying, so that must have been the beginning, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, thank God for that moment. Otherwise, who knows who would have played Mr. Heyman? Mind boggles. (laughs) (laughs) But getting back to the episode, The Library originally aired on October 16th, 1991. It was written by Larry Charles and directed by Joshua White, a rare episode from the first five seasons that Tom Schronis did not direct. Oh, interesting. Yeah, but I actually thought Joshua did a great job in this episode, and we'll discuss it as the episode goes along. But a lot of the scenes that he directed, I thought, were very well done. Oh, definitely. And speaking of Larry Charles, he does the commentary on the DVD extras, which is some really amazing stuff. And he really goes into the background of how he came up with the idea. And I thought it was kind of a funny little thing he talks about. He and Larry David went on a hike. And to, you know, clear their heads and to try to work on some ideas because they were stuck, you know, they were stagnant, Jerry. But uh, (laughs) (laughs) but they came up with this idea while on a hike. And I thought that was a great little tidbit. I I would just love to have been a fly on the wall or, you know, perhaps a squirrel in the tree or whatnot while those two are on a hike talking. And what did they talk about? What ideas, you know, were they throwing around? I could imagine, you know, Larry saying something like. Or, you know, which one? But, you know, Larry Charles, like, throwing out ideas and Larry David going, I don't know. Yeah, it could be funny. You know, I don't know. <laughs> so true. I always felt they had great chemistry on the show. I think they wrote The Bubble Boy together. Yeah, I think you're right. Just two amazingly dark comedic minds working together. And I always thought this episode was a different type of classic episode. It's interesting that the guest stars like Bookman and Mr. Heyman are more memorable than any of the main four cast members in this episode. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, that's true. It is their episode and the rest are just kind of along for the ride and you can see it in the scenes, you know, I, it's too bad. There aren't more scenes showing Mr. Heyman interacting with George, like in the present when Mr. Heyman's actually a bum, but uh, that's all right. We have those great scenes with George and Mr. Heyman interacting and another thing that Larry Charles also brought up, speaking of Bookman, is you know, he got this character from the Joe Friday character on Dragnet. And these types of characters, you know, seeing this really serious cop who takes his job so seriously and gives Jerry this really serious monologue, and also to see a homeless person in a sitcom, I mean, yeah. that's that was big. That was a big thing that nobody else was doing. Who would have thought of that? And like you said, two very dark minds coming together and thinking of these characters, you know? Yeah, just amazing guest appearances. Even Sherry Becker was great. Oh, of course. Licorice gum? Never. <laughs> <laughs> and 
and we'll get into her scene of course but yeah just so many great guest appearances and obviously the main four were great too but i just thought that was interesting that probably the best most memorable stuff in this episode came from the guest stars yeah and that was um one thing i wanted to bring up as well uh one thing i did in sort of researching for this episode was i listened to the but i don't want to be a secondary character podcast and they, they're no longer on, but you can definitely find their episodes archive. I highly recommend it for any Seinfeld fan. But they this is one of the earliest episodes they discuss. might be one of the, like their second or third. And they pose the question, would this episode be as memorable? Would it be as high up in the Seinfeld lexicon if it wasn't for Bookman? If you took out that character, where would, you know, where would this episode be? If you took out Heyman, if you took out that storyline? Yeah, I don't think it would be as memorable. I think it would still be a good episode, but classic, I'm not sure, because some of those scenes with Bookman and with Heyman, I mean, those are all time classic scenes. Everybody knows Bookman. Everybody knows Can't Stand You, you know. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But the episode begins in Jerry's apartment. And by the way, this is the first episode that features Jerry's bike on the wall. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Jerry's on the phone as Kramer walks in. He wants to speak to the head librarian because it's absurd. An overdue book from 1971? (laughs) This is a joke, right? What are you, from a radio station? Okay, you got me. I fell for it. I like when he's talking about it with Kramer, and Kramer's like, do you know how much that comes to? That's a nickel a day for 20 years. It's going to be $50,000. You know, if it's a dime a day, it could be (laughs) $100,000. Even though those figures aren't nearly as close to correct. But uh, (laughs) I love Kramer's confidence, as usual. Yeah, it's Kramer's math for you. And the storyline, once again, Larry Charles said that comes from real life, where he said he would have this penchant of keeping overdue library books. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. So, again, seeing where Seinfeld uh, came out of real life. And I'm sure that I, again, would have loved to hear when he posed this idea to Larry David or like, how it came about because I bet he was just talking casually saying like, Oh yeah, I got this library book. It's overdue. I was like, good. Oh, that's funny. That'd be a funny idea. Write that down. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I feel like most ideas that came from Seinfeld weren't even presented for an episode. They were just kind of stories that people told that Larry or Jerry thought was funny. Like, Oh, put that in. That'll that'll be funny. Exactly. Yeah. And it's so relatable too. I don't think anybody in the world has, ever not had an overdue library book yeah and when kramer is doing that math to see how much it comes out to that reminds me a little bit of morty in the kiss hello and he finds out that leo was supposed to give helen 50 dollars <laughs> <laughs> you know what that interest on that 50 dollars comes to over 53 years 663 dollars and 45 cents and that's figuring conservatively at five percent interest over 53 years compounded quarterly Or if you put it into a 10-year (laughs) T-bill, well, he's not getting away with this. (laughs) And by the way, I think I mentioned this when we discussed the greatest one-episode characters, but there was a story that came out last year that said that the New York Public Library is no longer charging late fees on overdue books. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so I guess Mr. Bookman is out of a job. Well, I'm sure he's retired by now. (laughs) It's true. Packed up shop, moved to L.A. and became a doctor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's definitely a prick involved. (laughs) Yes, there's one prick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I love how Kramer, you know, he's like down talking the library, calling it a scam. He's like, oh, I never got a library card, this and that. And Jerry's just like, well, I got to go down to the library. You want to come? Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like a dog, you know, he's got nothing to do all day. That scene kind of reminds me of the caddy when Jerry asks Kramer if he wants to go up with him to the Bronx to see if there's any flyers on George's car. He's like, yeah. (laughs) Could have said just about anything there, couldn't I? (laughs) (laughs) Or even later in the uh, Andrea Doria, when Jerry's going out, he's like, I got to go run a few errands. You want to come? I don't know. Come on, want to go for a ride? (laughs) (laughs) But Jerry says he returned that book. He remembers it very vividly because he was with Sherry Becker. She wore this orange dress. It was the first time he ever saw her in a dress like that. He had known her since ninth grade, and she was developing this body in secret under loose clothes for two years. And then one day, the orange dress is burned in his memory. Ooh, memory burn. 
I always thought that flashback shot of Sherry Becker was a little odd. It is, yeah, something a little off about it. Yeah, it's almost like the actress is uncomfortable shooting that scene or something. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I don't know how old she's supposed to be, but they're kind of like, oh, he, she developed this body into this orange dress. It's like, oh, nothing particularly <laughs> spectacular about it. Like, yeah, <laughs> she's very pretty, but. Yeah. But anyway, the next scene, Jerry and Kramer at the New York Public Library. They're walking in. Kramer's saying the Dewey Decimal System. What a scam that was. Boy, this Dewey really cleaned up on that deal. <laughs> and that guy who keeps shushing them, he reminds me a little bit of Dick from the Red Dot. I just get that vibe from him. Yeah, I can see that. Trying to save a quarter. <laughs> oh, I love Kramer's disdain. <laughs> and also the fact that a newspaper used to cost a quarter. Holy cow. I know. <laughs> Jerry and Kramer go over to the counter where Marion is working. And then Kramer goes on this great monologue. <laughs> <laughs> Look at her. This is a lonely woman looking for companionship. A spinster. Maybe a virgin. Maybe she got hurt a long time ago. She's a schoolgirl. There was a boy. It didn't work out. Now she needs a little tenderness. She needs a little understanding. She needs a little Kramer. <laughs> and then she'll need a little shot of penicillin. <laughs> I love the audience reaction, too, when he says the thing, maybe a virgin. You just kind of hear somebody audibly shriek. Like, oh, <laughs> I can't believe he said that. <laughs> and starting in season three, we get to see more of Kramer's romantic side. I don't think he had a girlfriend the first two seasons of the show. Yeah, the only mention of that would probably be like in The Stranded. Yeah, he's where, got a girl uh, in the next building. He's got a girl in the next building. And then in the previous episodes, we do see him while well, he's with uh tina in the truth so he kind of uh we don't know how serious of a relationship that is and then the dog he's breaking up with ellen how could i be with someone like you when you <laughs> respect <it> myself <laughs> but yeah you're right this is really one of the first times we do see kramer's more romantic side it's really the first time we see kramer in more of a dynamic role He's yeah. sort of out and about. That's one thing that uh, Larry Charles also talks about, where he's becoming more of, you know, uh, less of a homebody. And he's following them on their adventures. You know, you compare that with a Chinese restaurant or something like that, where you don't even see him or even the pen. You know, yeah. he's not in Florida. You know, he's still in New York. So. But, yeah, now we meet Marion, the librarian. Marion tells Jerry that this case has been turned over to the library investigations officer, Mr. Bookman. The library cop's name is Bookman? <laughs> it's true. Oh, that's amazing. It's like an ice cream man named Cone. <laughs> <laughs> George then walks in. I love how he's like tugging Jerry's jacket. <laughs> oh, the, that's such a classic. Yeah. And Jerry just putting up his arms like, what? What's going yeah. on? <laughs> I think I saw him. I think it's him. Did you see the yeah. homeless guy on the library steps screaming obscenities and doing some sort of calisthenics routine? I think that's Mr. Heyman, the gym teacher from our high school. Shh. <laughs> uh, He's older, completely covered in filth. No whistle, but I think it's him. <laughs> that is one of my favorite little jokes. No whistle. <laughs> Jerry tells Kramer that George got him fired because he squealed on him. Oh, tattletale, huh? I didn't tattle. <laughs> No, I never figured you for a squealer. Uh, he sang like a canary. <laughs> and since we get our first mention of Mr. Heyman in the scene, let's listen to another clip from our interview with Biff. This is when we asked him about his audition. Well, I don't really remember the audition. Uh, I'm sure I heard about the role through my agent. I barely remember the show. I did a lot of drinking in those days, so a lot of <laughs> are kind of fuzzy for me. But, uh, I mean, I do remember doing the show, of course. Uh I remember I met uh, Larry Miller, I think it was, uh, a friend of Seinfeld's. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and, and he hired me for a role a couple of months later. It was a film that I did for him. It was something about a prison or something. Where, and I only had a, a one line, but I couldn't remember it. Oh, what, I was embarrassed. Oh, man, was I embarrassed. Uh, but he was, uh, Larry Miller was terrific. And for those who don't know, Larry Miller is one of Jerry's best friends. He played the doorman on Seinfeld. Were you the boyfriend? 
<laughs> going up for a quickie. <laughs> <laughs> you really think you're better than me, don't you? <laughs> How about those Knicks? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we also asked Biff what the atmosphere was like on the set. Uh, well, it was certainly a very professional uh, uh, production. Jason Alexander was f- great to work with. Uh, the other people on, on the scene, um, the crew was fantastic. I get along with the crew anyhow. I, I did crew work for a while, but uh, I, I had a good time. I think, I'm, if I recall, I was nervous, but I'm usually nervous in any role. I mean, even now. I, I know when I when I first auditioned, and, and I still do, I blush like hell. I don't know what the hell it is. And and uh, eventually I had to bring it up. I said, you know, I'll go through this whole thing, but uh, I know makeup's going to have to do something about this red face because I blush every time I, I do an audition. So. And despite that, I got work once in a while. So it was all right. <laughs> but getting back to the episode, uh, Marion tells Jerry that Mr. Bookman is not there because he's out on a case. And Kramer is very fascinated by this. He's on a case? He actually goes out on cases? I feel like Kramer wants to be a library cop. Maybe it's something he overlooked. Yeah, because we already saw him impersonate a cop in the statue. And in the scofflaw, doesn't he say he always wanted to be a policeman, but he was afraid of being shot? Yeah, he did say that. So maybe a library cop is something he would be interested in. Sure, yeah, probably a little less violent, not dealing with, you know, violent crimes, just trying to get somebody to pay an overdue fine. But I don't think he would have had the same passion as Bookman. Nobody, nobody could fulfill that that level. You know, you have to have that level of something inside you that says, "I care so much about books." <laughs> books, books. I need my books. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> you know, when you read Moby Dick the second time, Ahab and the whale become great friends. <laughs> <laughs> so Jerry and George leave, but Kramer decides to hang around. So what's a guy got to do around here to get a library card? <laughs> <laughs> Next scene is at Pendant Publishing, and I'm pretty sure this is the first time we see Elaine at Pendant Publishing, right? I think you're right. Yeah, this is really the first mention of it. She mentions in the jacket that she's reading manuscripts for Pendant Publishing. Pendant, those bastards. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and in the statue, Elaine and Rava are preparing to meet with Mr. Lippman, but that, of course, never happens. So I think this is the first time. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right then. But probably the most memorable part of this scene is that we get introduced to the original Mr. Littman, played by Harris Shore. What are your thoughts on his performance in this scene? Yeah, he's very odd, very interesting. And again, you have to try to not be biased because we're so used to Richard Fancy, who's the the Littman that most people would recognize from the red dot onward and sort of his escapades. But this guy just seems very... I don't know. I'm not exactly sure how to take his performance because like with the Mr. Lippman that we have, there's sort of like um, a, more of a charm there, I suppose. This guy just seems very like gruff for the sake of being gruff and like very kind of aloof and, you know, doesn't maybe doesn't respect Elaine like he should or like maybe the she hasn't proven herself to him. And that kind of ties in with the sort of neurotic Elaine that we're seeing, you know. And uh, Larry Charles wrote that specifically. He said, you know, he loves seeing these little neurotic scenes with Elaine. So and there's not a lot to work with. I mean, it's just that one scene, just those few lines. But I guess for the job that he had to do, it was it was well done, but it wasn't anything, you know, overly memorable. Right. But Elaine is getting a really weird vibe in the office. No one asked her what she wanted for lunch and she thinks Mr. Lippman might be getting rid of her. They must have forgot. (laughs) (laughs) We then cut to Jerry, George, and Elaine at Monk's. And this is a great conversation the three of them have, so I think we'll just listen to it. I'm telling you, something is going on. He never likes anything I recommend, and then that lunch thing. So they forgot to get your lunch. Big deal. What do you know? You've never worked in an office. See... You've worked in an office, George. You understand. Jerry thinks I'm overreacting, but you understand lunch. I don't understand lunch. I don't know anything about lunch. Listen, just because I got the guy fired doesn't mean I turned him into a bum, does it? What did he do? He purposely mispronounced my name. Instead of saying Costanza, he'd say, Can't stand ya! Can't stand ya! Maybe smell my own gym socks once? 
I remember he made you wear a jock on your head for a whole class. And the straps were hanging oh, down. Okay, okay. <laughs> Never even had him for gym. I had him for hygiene. Remember his teeth? It was like from an exhumed corpse. Little baked beans. <laughs> Come on, tell me what happened. Oh, okay. As I said, the guy had it in for me. He actually failed me in gym. Me. And those spastic schnitzer twins. Hey, Stanya! Yes, Mr. Hammond? Your underwear was sticking out of your shorts during gym class. Oh, well, I, I guess that's because I wear boxer shorts. Boxer shorts, huh? <laughs> what brand? I'm not really sure. I... Yeah, well, let's take a look! You <laughs> gave me a wedgie. I got fired the next day. Why do they call it a wedgie? Because the underwear is pulled up from the back until it wedges in. <laughs> they also have an atomic wedgie. Now, the goal there is to actually get the waistband on top of the head. It's very rare. Boys are sick. But what do girls do? We just tease someone till they develop an eating disorder. I gotta go back to the library and talk to him. I gotta find out if I'm the guy that ruined his life. Just such a great scene. First of all, Elaine's line when she says, we just tease someone until they develop an eating disorder. <laughs> I mean, just such an underrated line and just a brilliant delivery by Julia. Oh, it really is. And that contrast of girls versus guys, where, she, and where she's being so judgmental, too. You know, I said, boys are sick. But what do girls do? <laughs> we just tease somebody until they develop an eating disorder. <laughs> such a Larry Charles joke. Oh, it really is. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Yeah, and in earlier drafts of the script, they actually had Jerry and George discussing, you know, what specifically happened to Mr. Heyman and, you know, why he uh, why he became homeless. And George's theory is it's actually a pretty good one. It, he says that maybe he lost money in the 89 Wall Street crash because that would have been a couple of years before. So, you know, probably a lot of people lost a lot of money at that point. And then, of course, Jerry, in classic fashion, says maybe he's just a depressed Yankees fan. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that Jerry's line of because Jerry's world is so, you know, shallow. He 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 could read the sports section if his hair was on fire, and you know that's something that would happen to him. Where, you know, everything else would be going great in his life, but the Yankees are doing bad. Up, oh, well, I'm just gonna give up and lose it all. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's where his mindset is at. Exactly. <laughs> and George, too, would probably be very familiar with the finances of Wall Street and things like that. Uh, you know, he was in real estate and he probably had to pay attention to that to some extent. Yeah. But that flashback scene with Mr. Heyman is the highlight of this scene. And we asked Biff how many takes he shot of that scene and if he was given any direction from Larry or Jerry. If I recall, I think there was three or four takes at least. And the direction was uh, how to say that uh, can't stand you. They wanted it a certain way, so I had to I had to make sure I got it the way they wanted that. That was the main direction. Oh, you nailed that! Yeah, can't stand you. Yeah, I've I've had people come up on the street and say that to me, <laughs> and and it really surprises me. I mean, it was just you know just a, a line there, and and then uh, you couldn't recognize me at the end really. So, I don't know, but it, but it's fun when people do that. I enjoy that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I Oh, man. How amazing is it that we get to hear him say can't stand you all these years later? <laughs> oh, I mean, talk about you say that's the highlight scene. That was the highlight moment of the interview. Yeah. <laughs> when he said that. He still got it, too. Yep. <laughs> he was being modest. <laughs> we also asked him if he added anything to the character or if it was pretty much all there in the script. Uh, it was it was pretty much all there. I mean, I just I believe I was directed into to uh, doing it the way I did it. I don't think I I, I don't recall bringing too much to it. I think uh, they kind of said, OK, do this and, and do that. And, and that's what I did. You know, I just followed what they said. Uh, I did get a kick out of uh the end, though, as a bum. That was, I, I, like, 
I did I did ask him to blacken the teeth and mess up the hair and do a whole bunch of crap, make me really dirty. I like to get dirty. I like to get into that kind of character. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah, you looked like you were having fun with that role yeah, for sure. <laughs> I, I did. I did. Now we touched on him a little bit already, but another actor that looked like he was having fun with his role was Philip Baker Hall, who played Mr. Bookman. And of course, we polled our listeners a while back, and he was voted the number one greatest one episode character of the entire series. And can't really argue with that. No, definitely not. And even though we played this clip in our discussion about the greatest one episode characters, we can't review this episode and not play this clip because it's just one of the greatest scenes ever of the entire series. So here it is, the great Joe Bookman. Well, I'm glad you're here so we can get this all straightened out. Would you like a cup of tea? You got any coffee? Coffee? Yeah, coffee. No, I don't drink coffee. Yeah, you don't drink coffee? How about instant coffee? No, I don't have... You don't have any instant coffee? Well, I don't normally... Who doesn't have instant coffee? I don't. You buy a jar of Folgers crystals, you put it in the cupboard, you forget about it. And later on, when you need it, it's there. It lasts forever. It's freeze-dried. Freeze-dried crystals. Really? I'll have to remember that. You took this book out in 1971. Yes, and I returned it in 1971. Yeah, 71. That was my first year on the job. Bad year for libraries. Bad year for America. Hippies burning library cards. Abby Huffman telling everybody to steal books. I don't judge a man by the length of his hair or the kind of music he listens to. Rock was never my bag. But you put on a pair of shoes when you walk into the New York Public Library, fella. Look, Mr. Bookman. I, I returned that book. I remember it very specifically. You're a comedian. You make people laugh. I try. You think this is all a big joke, don't you? No, I don't. I saw you on TV once. I remembered your name from my list. I looked it up. Sure enough, it checked out. You think because you're a celebrity that somehow the law doesn't apply to you, that you're above the law? Certainly not. Well, let me tell you something funny, boy. You know that little stamp? The one that says New York Public Library? Well, that may not mean anything to you, but that means a lot to me. One whole hell of a lot. Sure, go ahead, laugh if you want to. I've seen your type before. Flashy, making the scene, flaunting convention. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. What's this guy making such a big stink about all library books? Well, let me give you a hint, Junior. Maybe we can live without libraries, people like you and me, maybe. Sure, we're too old to change the world. But what about that kid sitting down, opening a book right now in a branch of the local library and finding drawings of peepees and wee-wees and a cat in the hat and the five Chinese brothers? Doesn't he deserve better? Look, if you think this is about overdue fines and missing books, you better think again. This is about that kid's right to read a book without getting his mind warped. Or... Maybe that turns you on, Seinfeld. Maybe that's how you get your kicks. You and your good time buddies. Well, I got a flash for you, Joy Boy. Party time is over. You got seven days, Seinfeld. That is one week. Just incredible. And I love how the door opens and then Marion rushes into Kramer's apartment before Bookman can see her. Oh, it's beautiful. Just it's like a dance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And another thing that Larry Charles talked about was that line. Uh, when you're thinking about that, think about this. That was a line that stuck around that they used a lot on the set with each <laughs> other, which I love because yeah. I love when they had those little stories about how they would have these little quips and lines that people would say and, you know, just catch on because that happens to me, too, where there's different lines and things from Seinfeld that just stick in my head and I say it. You know, when you think about that, think about this. <laughs> you just pull it out whenever you can. Yeah, it's so great. I also like when Marion's like, it's Bookman, the library cop. I'm supposed to be at work. I could get fired. I never should have come here. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you leave? I can't. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very odd scene, but that's actually the first uh, look that we get inside Kramer's apartment, I believe. Yeah, I think you're right. We really don't get too much of an idea of the layout, but uh, yeah, we get to see a little entrance there. That was before he decided to reverse his people. <laughs> <laughs> and we're starting to see that Kramer's got the Kavorka. Yeah, that's true. It's almost like Marion can't get away or like she would rather be with Kramer than, you know, she doesn't care that she has to sacrifice her job, that she might get caught. She is caught up in this excitement. Yeah, because, I mean, she probably knew that he was at Jerry's apartment, right? Possibly, yeah. Maybe she didn't realize how close it actually was or 
yeah. you know, what time he was actually going over there. Maybe she thought she had more time. But we asked Biff if he had any memory of being on the set with Philip Baker Hall that week. And this is what he had to say. Yes, I did. I met him. Uh, we worked on something else after that. We kind of got a little friendly there. As a matter of fact, now that you mention it, I think he and I are the ones that went to the uh, – I think he auditioned the same time I did. And we went to the commissary together. Either that or we went oh, wow. after after we shot. And we had worked on something else, and I, I just don't know what it is. I'll have to look it up on IMDb when we when we finish this. <laughs> <laughs> And he, he was, was a fantastic. great guy. He's, oh, he's a great guy. Yeah, I really enjoyed work. Uh, well, I didn't work with him, but uh, yeah. But did you uh, watch any of his scenes? And if so, what yes. do you remember from seeing that? Uh, just how professional he was. You know, he just yeah. nailed it right away. It seemed, if I recall, he did. He only did one, maybe two takes. He he nailed it pretty much right away. Wow, it's amazing. Yeah, he's just another one of the, those classic Seinfeld moments. Yeah. And between you and him, you really make the episode. Oh, that's good. I'm glad people liked it. <laughs> I love that Mr. Bookman and Mr. Heyman got lunch together in the commissary. Isn't that great? I, such a great little behind-the-scenes detail. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine seeing the two of them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would pay. Just like I was saying before with the Larry Charles, Larry David. I'd love yeah. to be a squirrel in the tree. I'd love to be a fly in the wall in that commissary, man. Absolutely. But getting back to the episode, Jerry is shouting at Mr. Bookman down the hall of his apartment building. There's no way I'm paying that. I returned that book in 1971. I have a witness, Sherry Becker. She wore an orange dress. She gave me a piece of blackjack gum. I said, licorice gum. What do they think of next? I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so much fun to think about what was Bookman like doing? Like he was probably already on the elevator, but like halfway <laughs> through Jerry's speech. Jerry's <laughs> just yelling at nobody. <laughs> I wonder if Phil was living there at the time, though, and he heard it. It's a great point. Yeah, and uh, Martin. Martin. <laughs> Can't believe he's in a coma. He's got my vacuum cleaner. <laughs> you can hear more about Martin in our discussion of the hospital scenes of Seinfeld. <laughs> And then in the next scene, Jerry meets with Sherry Becker at Monk's. And I love how they segue from her yearbook picture to her in present day. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was a great choice. And I'm curious if Tom Sharonis directed this episode, how he would have shot that scene. Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Because that was never really used ever again, where it sort of went from this picture of a young person faded out and then showed them in the present. So... Maybe that was Joshua White's uh, artistic decision. And uh, Larry Charles, again, said that this episode is a very visual episode. And he made a really interesting comment that stuck with me. I had to write it down where he said about Seinfeld episodes in general, they have a density to them. And I think that that's such a positive aspect because I know I've said this before where you have this rewatchability. And every time you watch an episode, you find something new. There's something new to discover. You never see an episode and watch it the same way twice. And it's so interesting to see that that him as a writer and somebody that was so close to the show and to the showrunners also has that idea and sees that as this sort of special thing that made Seinfeld what it is. Oh, absolutely. And by the way, Sherry gives me Carrie vibes from The Boyfriend. Yeah, a little bit. A very thick New York accent, you know. Yeah. Not as frumpy, but. Uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> she also reminds me of the woman from uh, the AIDS walk. Here's your ribbon, but you have to wear the AIDS ribbon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Now, Sherry tells him that she wore a purple dress instead of an orange dress. She was chewing dentine instead of blackjack. And they were reading passages from Tropic of Capricorn instead of Tropic of Cancer. Remember what holds the world together, as I have learned from bitter experience, is sexual intercourse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And the best part of that is there's a backstory where that was that's an actual line in Tropic of Capricorn. It was literally Larry David just opened up to a random page and picked out a random sentence. And that was the sentence he picked. <laughs> and if you don't think that Seinfeld had some like divine intervention 
at several points of its existence, then that's just another example. <laughs> just incredible. And I have a copy of Tropic of Cancer sitting on my bookshelf as well, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> One day I'll get Tropic of Capricorn. But what do you think the joke is here exactly? That Jerry didn't know the color of the dress, that he got the gum wrong, that he had the name of the book wrong. Where do you think they're going with this joke? I think it was everything. I think it was Jerry had this idea. He had a memory and he was so sure of it. You know, he's telling everybody and he's yelling at a bookman. He's telling it to Kramer. You know, she wore this orange dress and, you know, we were chewing blackjack. And it's like, and it's one of those things where you have such a specific memory and that's always how you remember it. And well, you can go down a psychological rabbit trail about how memory works and such. And I think that is the joke though, is that like Jerry was so certain about this. And then he meets up with this woman after all these years and she's telling him, no, 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 it was like this. It was like this, but it's also like, it's up to you to decide another great Seinfeld thing. It's like, it's kind of up to you to decide. Is she remembering it correctly? Like maybe she's the one that, that doesn't remember it exactly. Cause she's also very certain, very sure of herself. And, you know, maybe there's some hybrid somewhere in the middle of the truth lies somewhere. Yeah, because I always thought that the joke was that women remember every little detail and all men care about is women. <laughs> That's a good point, too. <laughs> yeah. So I think that Jerry was just really attracted to her and he didn't remember anything else. In the memory burn was just that she had developed this body in secret. As he said, that was the only thing he got right. Exactly. And everything else, you know. But this triggers Jerry's memory, and he realizes that he gave Tropic of Cancer to George. And we get that flashback scene again. And by the way, I think Larry Charles hated those wigs that they had them in. I was going to bring this up. He's, that is one thing that bothered him the most. He said after <laughs> they wrapped up shooting, they would have like a little uh, session, you know, airing of the grievances, if you will, before there was a Festivus. <laughs> and he said that was his big complaint. His big gripe was the wigs just look so cheap. And it's hilarious to listen to him in the commentary because that's like the one thing you tell he's just so destroyed over. He's like, oh, those wigs, they're terrible. But <laughs> I think it adds something seriously because it's obvious that, I mean, George and Jerry probably looked kind of like that in high school, but it's not like an exact thing. So they're like imagining, they're retelling the story it's them as 30 something year old men in a high school setting. <laughs> so I think it makes it even funnier. And also Larry David had hair like that back in the day. That's right. In the fro. <laughs> yeah. And I guess Jerry's hair used to look like that too. So. And I mean, they were, the, those were, uh, you know, seventies hairstyles. Yeah. So those three guys, who do you think those guys were that were part of Mr. Heyman's, uh, posse because it's kind of odd that like you have a teacher and granted again it's the 70s you know people got away with a lot more back then but you have a teacher bullying a student and you have like three teenagers that are willing to go along with it i think they were just the popular kids at school who picked on kids like george and Heyman was a bully himself and he kind of just attached to those guys and he's not particularly athletic looking either no no offense to biff yeager we love biff but <laughs> it was one of the most out of shape gym teachers I've seen in a long time. And, but it was, it's just funny to think like those three guys that bullied George in high school. I wonder if like one of them would have ended up on the Yankees, like working there when George was there. One of them, you know, <laughs> was somebody that interviewed George when he was looking for a job. You know, maybe that was the guy that George was supposed to go see in the subway when <laughs> instead he <laughs> went with the prostitute, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and by the way, you said that you can't really picture Heyman being an athlete he also right. teaches hygiene too which makes no sense <laughs> right the big bean teeth <laughs> yeah and it's funny too because i think they say this in the notes about nothing on the dvd extras where jerry's like oh i gotta go i'm gonna be late for Heyman's hygiene but Heyman's running late he's later than jerry like how long was, <laughs> were, were the kids waiting for hygiene while he's you know, giving somebody a wedgie in the locker room <laughs> So we then cut to the library where Marion is reading her poetry to Kramer. Pressed, chest, fleshed, out west. Might be the savior or a garden pest. Oh, that's beautiful. You see, you should be published. <laughs> I don't know. Do you think that should be published? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. Maybe I just I, I don't get aught 
you know. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I just don't get poetry, and I don't know. But I'm not exa- I'm not writing it poetry either, so I can't really judge. <laughs> I'm just making a podcast over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that was another thing that uh, Larry Charles brought up. Not something you saw too often in sitcoms, you know, people writing poetry. But uh, he did say that it was fun to write the bad poetry. So <laughs> I think he would agree with you that uh, maybe maybe it didn't need to be published. Or... Right. But their date gets interrupted by Mr. Bookman. And this is another great scene. Hello! 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 <laughs> Mr. Bookman. I remember when the librarian was a much older woman. <laughs> Kindly, discreet, unattractive. We didn't know anything about her private life. We didn't want to know anything about her private life. She didn't have a private life. When you're thinking about that, think about this. The library closes at 5 o'clock, no exceptions. This is your final warning. Got that? QB down? <laughs> Back at Jerry's apartment, Elaine's telling Jerry, Lippman wants to see me in his office. See me. That can't be good. Maybe you're getting a raise. Maybe I'm getting a wedgie. <laughs> that would be an amazing visual. Mr. Lippman giving Elaine a wedgie. <laughs> what do you think Lippman wanted to see Elaine about? Because I know we find out at the end that she gave him Marion's poems and he wasn't impressed, but they never really say why he wanted to see her. I was assumed it was about the Columbus book because she says that you know, the biography I recommended about Columbus, my boss hated it. <laughs> I'm right here. <laughs> yeah. um, so I always assumed it was about that, but it's also on top of Elaine's neuroticism, where it could just be about something, you know, oh, Elaine, you know, I need you to uh, do this for me, or could you take care of this for me? You know, something innocuous, but, you know, Elaine in her state is like, oh, my God, he wants to see me in his office. Nothing good can come from this, you know? <laughs> yeah. And when she's yelling and Jerry's like, I'm right here. It's kind of the opposite of that scene in The Wizard when Morty is like, Helen, Jerry got me a hot wizard computer. I'm right here. (laughs) (laughs) George then walks in. Well, it's him. It's definitely him. Him? Him who? Him who? Heyman him. He was sitting on the steps of the library. I sat down next to him. He smelled like the locker room after that game against Erasmus. That was double overtime. I said, Mr. Heyman, it's me, George Costanza, JFK, 71. He doesn't move. So I said, uh, can't stand you? Can't stand you? He turns and smiles. Little baked bean teeth. <laughs> I got up to run away, but something was holding me back. It was Heyman. He had my underwear. (laughs) There I was on the steps of the 42nd Street Library, a grown man getting a wedgie. (laughs) (laughs) At least it wasn't atomic. It was. (laughs) (laughs) I love how he kept the underwear to reveal it at the end. It's beautiful to have it as proof. Yeah. (laughs) And it's great, too, because it comes full circle where... You know, you got this regular wedgie in the past talking about atomic wedgies. Obviously, Heyman wanted to do something to him all these years, and that was it. Yeah. (laughs) But even though Heyman did kind of deserve it, this is honestly still one of the worst things that George ever did to somebody. Oh, absolutely. You know, (laughs) when you look at him, the scale, like it might it might just be below Susan. (laughs) Like horrible (laughs) things like people that. He said he ruined his life. Yeah. (laughs) I love whenever they tell a story. And we get a lot of that in the earlier seasons. There's just so much great dialogue. As the seasons went on, the budget got bigger and there were more scenes that we were able to see. But there's just something about listening to them tell a story that I really love. Oh, it's great. Yeah, like Kramer with his Batman when he saves the pinky toe. Or Elaine telling the story of uh, taking Eddie to the airport or trying to, you know. George and the marine biologist, of course. Oh, of course. And I'd love the bait and switch. And they do this a few times in Seinfeld where George says the thing about, I tried to run away, but something was holding me back. And you think like, wait a minute, isn't it? For a split second, you're like, oh, some growth. And it's like, it was Heyman. 
<laughs> he had my underwear. Because, <laughs> you know, if Heyman didn't grab him, George would have just bolted. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, I did all I could do, but oh, I love that. Me too. Jerry then tells George that he was the one that had Tropic of Cancer and was supposed to return it. And then we get another flashback to that scene. And I always forget that they flash back to this scene three times in the episode. I always thought it was twice. And we talked a little bit about the director, Joshua White, and how he made that decision with the yearbook and how we were curious how Tom Sharonis would have shot that scene. I also wonder that in this scene when George screams and we get the ah, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> right, three times for effect. Oh, it's yeah. beautiful. <laughs> I think they still would have done that because I feel like that was the way that Larry Charles talked about it. That was a creative choice that either he or Larry David came up with for emphasis. Yeah, I think I agree. And then we have our final scene with Mr. Bookman. Jerry is writing him a check. Anyway, I hope there's no hard feelings. Hard feelings? What do you know about hard feelings? You ever have a man die in your arms? Ever kill somebody? What is your problem? It's my problem. Punks like you, that's my problem. And you better not screw up again, Seinfeld. Because if you do, I'll be all over you like a pit bull on a poodle. (laughs) That is one tough monkey. (laughs) That's a great callback to a male unbonding. I once kicked a man in the groin and never made him cry. I got the cab. (laughs) A couple of tough monkeys. <laughs> yeah. Jerry asks George if Heyman is still out there, but he says no, he's gone. Wonder what happened to him. And of course, we get that great shot. Can't stand you. Can't stand you. <laughs> Can't stand you. <laughs> and uh, where do you think Mr. Heyman ended up after he left the library? Oh, man, they should have had him pulling rickshaws for Kramer and Newman. <laughs> oh, that would have been great. <laughs> Maybe he went to uh, the soup kitchen that uh, Lena Small volunteered at at 6 a.m. Yeah. Do the bums ever complain soup again? <laughs> I'd get tired of it. How could you not? Also, why do you think that he decided to keep the book after all those years? I just wonder if, like, uh, he obviously spotted it after he was torturing George. So he kind of grabbed it. Oh, this is can't stand you. I'm going to take it. And, uh, you know, then he saw what was inside it. He was like, oh, boy, keeping this. You know? <laughs> or maybe he knew about Mr. Bookman and he wanted him to harass George. Oh, plot twist. Interesting. Yeah. That's why he ended up at the library steps. He knew that uh, nobody would bother him there if he was living there. Exactly. But this is such a great scene and a great ending to the episode. And. Going back to our interview with Biff, we asked him what makeup did to make him look like that. I don't know what makeup did. I know it was they were really looked rotten. They probably put some kind of stain on it, and I know <laughs> they made my eyes bloodshot and all that stuff. I get a kick out of that when they do that stuff. You know, they make usually I drank so much in those days they don't need to do anything like that. <laughs> but the teeth they had to do they had to put some stain. I think they put a tea stain on or something. Or Coke. I don't know. I don't know what they use, but they they do stain them to make them look terrible. Oh, yeah. Mm. And And it takes a while to get off, too. (laughs) I can imagine. I love that he drank so much in those days that they didn't have to do anything to him. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He just already looked the part. All right. (laughs) Still can't get over that. I would love to grab a drink with him. Oh, he would be a lot of fun to have a drink with. Yeah. Maybe read some passages from a Henry Miller book or two. Ah, that'd be great. <laughs> we also asked him if they shot multiple versions of that ending and if it was filmed in front of a live audience. Uh, no, I, if I remember, we didn't shoot multiple uh, takes on it, uh, and it wasn't in front of an audience. It, was off it wasn't? The, no. I always find it interesting how many scenes they didn't shoot in front of the audience. But I guess for that scene, it made sense because it was really quick and it was the ending. So maybe they already wanted to have that scene in the bag for the live audience when they were there and they just kind of played it on the screens for them. Yeah. And who knows? It wasn't, you know, not filmed in order necessarily. So whatever days Biff happened to be there, you know, they probably have to plan that out and schedule it and such. And before we play some more clips from our interview with Biff, I just wanted to mention Jerry's closing stand up in this episode because I thought it was really strong. When he's talking about how any day that you had gym was a weird school day because it started out kind of normal. You'd have like English, geometry, social studies, and then all of a sudden you're in like Lord of the Flies for 40 minutes. 
You're hanging from a <laughs> rope. You hardly have any clothes on. Teachers are yelling at you. Where's your jock strap? Kids are throwing dodgeballs at you. You're trying to survive. And then history, science, language. There's something off in the whole flow of that day. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Although I think my personal favorite stand-up from this episode is when Jerry's talking about the library being government-funded pathetic friend. <laughs> I just love that terminology. And, yeah. Oh, I'll bring it back on time. I'll bring it back late. What are you going to do? What are you going to charge me? Nickel? <laughs> <laughs> but getting back to our interview with Biff, we asked him if he enjoyed playing Mr. Heyman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, it was fun doing it. Uh, and like I said, the end part where I was, a, I was a bum. I love that. I love that getting into all that crap. You know, it's really, <laughs> that's the enjoyable part about it. That's, a, that's what gets you into a character, I think. You know, the costume, the makeup. Uh, when you when you just kind of dressed natural every day, it's uh, you know you don't have the armor. You know, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were you were definitely an integral part of a classic Seinfeld episode, and yeah, we always say on the show sure. like it doesn't matter, you know, if you were in one or two scenes, you know, had one or two lines, you you were so important to the show that we love. Yeah, well, I I've always felt that uh, you know every line that's in a in a, a film or a TV show is important, and even if it's just a couple of words that somebody says, it supposedly helps uh, the story along, you know, moves the story along. So. Yeah, I've had some uh, some people I've met over the years. I had a messenger service for a while too, and I'd run into I had actors working for me, and of course it was delivering actors' photos and resumes to uh, casting offices. And I'd run into people and say, "Oh yeah, I saw you on that episode. Yeah, that was so funny." And, okay, <laughs> <laughs> you remember it more than I do. That's good. That's cool. <laughs> we also mentioned to him how it would have been so great if they brought him back in the finale, and this is what he had to say about that. Yeah, I, I always wanted – there was some other, couple of other shows that I, I missed going out in the finale, too, and I always thought, well, why the hell aren't I in there with all the rest of those 500 people that worked on the show? You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should have been in that courtroom. You deserve to be there. I could uh, have been in the back in the back reading Tropic of Cancer. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you could have been on the steps uh, heading into the courthouse. Yeah. Drinking drink right. my booze and reading my book. <laughs> Shouting, can't stand you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know they couldn't bring back everyone for the finale, but Mr. Heyman was definitely someone they could have brought back because, like you said, George ruined his life. Yeah, and they brought back Bookman, so they should have brought back Heyman as well. Yeah. But anyway, I think that about does it for our discussion about the library. We hope you enjoyed this episode format, and if you did, please email us at theplacetobeseinfeld at gmail.com and let us know. Maybe we'll do it again in a future episode, but we're going to leave you with our final segment with Biff. We hope you enjoy. And so before we let you go, we're just going to get into our final segment. It's called This, That, and the Other. Basically, we just ask you a question, and the first thing that comes to mind, you let us know. Oh, boy. Be ready to bleep. (laughs) (laughs) First one is, what is your favorite film? Um, straight to hell. Oh, interesting. Uh, what actor have you always wanted to work with? Oh, uh, Helen Mirren. Who was the funniest person on Seinfeld the week you were there? Actually, backstage, Larry Miller was was uh, really kind of funny. So what was he? he was just like hanging around on the set yeah. that week? Well, he was he's friends with him, you know. And I guess I don't know if he went to all the work on all the shows or, or went with him or helped him write. I don't know what he did, but. Uh, I didn't even know who that no, was. He's very close. <laughs> yeah, yeah he is one of Jerry's close friends. Yeah, because there's a famous story where Jerry says, ah, the show's not very big yet, like in the beginning. And Larry said, ah, don't worry, it will be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he also tried out for George Costanza. Right. Huh? I didn't know that. Good. Yeah. Uh, favorite um, band or musician? Oh, uh, the Pogues, because I worked with them. And. Oh, nice. um, a uh, musician, uh, uh, Gene Krupa. Who knows? I, don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I played the drums a little bit. I tried to, so I always was a kind of fan of his. Uh, what's the best story you have about a major film or TV actor? Ah, doing Straight to Hell, actually, with um, uh, Ed Harris. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, we, we sat up drinking all night long one night, talking. And the next day, they pretty much had to carry both of us around. But the next day, 
but the next day I'm laid out on a table because I was I was wounded and they were working on me, and he had to do, and he had to do all his lines, and it was really he he did it all in one take and it was really one of the best scenes in the in the film I thought uh, that he did that day, but I don't know why the hell we stayed up all night but we we were up in Nicaragua and we just stayed up all night drinking. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> Uh, what role or performance are you proudest of? Boy, that's that's hard to say. I don't know. The last one I did, I don't know. I really have no idea. And I don't remember what the last one I did was. Nobody wants me. I'm an old man now. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. You've got to be positive. Yeah, okay. They all want me. I just don't want them. That's what <laughs> Well, I have to say, another one of my favorite roles besides Mr. Heyman is when you played the pathologist in Scrubs. Oh, yes. Okay. That is one of my favorites for sure. I, I love that. But, you know, I kind of blew that, too, because uh, when we were doing the scene, um, something dropped on the corpse. And he said, I don't know if they kept it in, but he said, oh, you dropped the piece there. And I really, if I was thinking straight, I would have said, oh, okay, and picked it up and just <laughs> ate it. But I I missed it. Uh, I thought of it later, but it would have been perfect. You know? No, it, it's funny because I actually, what I do for a living, I actually do work in pathology. So uh, <laughs> I've worked with pathologists and it's just like, yeah, you, you pulled it off really well. Yeah, that was fun to do. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah, that seems like it was a fun show to work on, too. Uh, who's the most intimidating actor or director you've ever worked with? Uh, that that uh, guy that was in 9 to 5. I wish I could remember his name. Dabney Coleman? Yes, Dabney Coleman. Right. Yeah, he was yeah, he was probably the most intimidating. There's actually a reference to Dabney Coleman in Seinfeld. He's in a in a fake movie called Sack Lunch. <laughs> <laughs> so besides Seinfeld, what's your favorite TV show? Hmm. I don't know. I liked uh, I certainly liked uh, Hill Street Blues years ago. And nice. Comedy wise, I guess all in the family. Comedy wise, was oh yeah, mm-hmm. classic, yeah. yeah, yeah. Beat it. Favorite director that you've ever worked with? I would say Tim Burton, probably. Mm. Uh, he he was quite a director. He he pretty much let the actors do what they wanted. You know, uh, the same that I hear of Clint Eastwood. He uh, gets a script, he shoots it the way it is, no rewrites. And let the actors go. Let them do what uh, what they they're creative, what they're there for. You know what they get paid for. And uh, Tim Burton was very similar to that. So I think I probably learned a lot from him. Of course, Alex Cox too. I mean, they did five, yeah. six films for him. So. And final thing, favorite moment in your career. When when I get on a set with someone that that I've admired as an actor, and and start to work with them, and they turn out to be nice. Yeah, that's that's the favorite time. I it's, it's so much enjoyable when people are nice, you know, so much more enjoyable. Um, there has been a couple of actors that I worked with. You know, I did a lot of extra work. I don't know if it's in I doubt if it's in my uh, profile or anything, but um, I did a lot of extra work. And I, I worked with Sylvester Stallone, of all people, and and some others. And uh, he was OK. He was fine. But there's been some assholes. Bleep that out if you want. <laughs> uh, that you know, it just it makes it a lousy profession. And when you go in and work with somebody that uh, you've admired, and they turn out to be nice people. When I did um, Kerry Washington, what was her show? Anyhow, I did her show, and I was at a table read there, and she came over and introduced herself. And I had, I had one line, two lines. I was a day player. She was wonderful. I did. I enjoyed the rest of the show. And then uh, the bed, the Golden Girls. I did oh. that. In- Betty White came up and introduced herself. That makes it worthwhile to me, you know, when the people are like that. I really, really um, love being in the business then, you know. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. Well, this has been just incredible. I mean, Adam and I can always say we talked to Mr. Heyman from Seinfeld now. Nothing will ever be the same. <laughs> I know, for real. This was such a great experience. I was really excited for this interview. So <laughs> trying to think of... Uh, it can't be Adam Stanja or Eric Stanja. I can't do nothing, nothing worse. With I can't give you an ending line for meeting you guys. But thank you. Anyhow, thanks for no, thank me. you. This was this was fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, I know you probably just think, oh, you did one episode of Seinfeld like 30 years ago, whatever it was. But um, to us, 
it really means a lot that you took time out of your day to talk to us about this. And it's just this was such a thrill to talk to you. It's just well, incredible. I'm glad. I hope I hope your fans enjoy it, too. The guys that listen to you. People oh, I'm listen. sure they will. Yeah, thank you so much. All right. Have a great night. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at theplacetobeseinfeld at gmail.com. You can also find our show on Facebook at The Place to Be, a Seinfeld podcast, Twitter at TPTB Seinfeld, and Instagram at theplacetobe.podcast. You can find our show on Anchor, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, and Apple Podcasts. And if you'd like, please rate and review. It really helps us out. Until next time, be sure to hang up your pants for the perfect crease. Can't stand you. 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 Can't stand you.